Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. The show is being broadcast on 770-CHQR, right here on Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chet. Every Saturday morning, well, every other Saturday morning during the summer, I'll be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But it's really your opportunity to raise any issues that you feel need to be addressed to ask questions of the Premier. You can ask one-on-one. Just remember, keep it short and respectful. Premier Kenny wants to hear from you. You can call or text in Calgary, 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, the number is 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. Premier Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. It's... Been a busy couple of weeks since we last spoke, and I'm sure there's a few things I'd like to address before we open up the phone and text lines. Let's start off, though, with the uh, tornado warning that ripped off roofs and trees in uh, in Hines Creek. Uh, we're getting a lot of reports of some serious damage there. So uh, can you let me know what your uh, response is to that? Is there going to be any kind of uh, rescue funding? Well, we'll we're, of course, talking to the local authorities there, the municipality. There's a policy framework for uh, emergency funding if a local state of emergency has been declared and there is a loss to public infrastructure. Um, that uh, the province can sometimes step in as well, uh, uninsured, uninsurable private infrastructure. But I, I, I'm not aware of a request in, in that, uh, uh, but we'll certainly uh, work with the local municipality if there is one. Yeah, it was uh, pretty severe. Uh, some uh, crop damage as well from, uh, from at least one report that we've heard and uh, uh, homes and, and businesses damaged. So uh, kind of severe uh, that we just totally unexpected, I guess. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate, but you know, uh, of course, we um, generally speaking, we've had pretty great weather, summer weather so far. Uh, Obviously, some episodes of local flooding, uh, but we were much lower than the 10-year average in terms of flooding events, uh, forest fires, uh, and uh, events of that nature. Um, You know, the prairies are always unpredictable weather-wise. We know that in Alberta, and I, I feel badly for the people who've been affected by that. All right. Now, it's been a busy couple of weeks since we last spoke. A few things I'd like to address before we go to those phone and text lines. This week, of course, the papal visit. Yesterday, your government announced that kids under five can start receiving the COVID vaccine. There's monkeypox. But first, I just wanted to follow up quickly on our conversation from the start of our last show. I quoted your friend Dan McTagg, who'd stated that Albertans are getting fleeced at the gas pumps. Now, a few days later, you asked Nate Glubish, the Minister for Consumer Protection, to investigate. And almost immediately, uh, pump prices began to fall. Now, what's the outcome of his investigation? Well, I think Service Alberta is just beginning that. We, I also wrote to the uh, Canadian Competition Bureau because uh, they have the responsibility for... Uh, monitoring and identifying any potential uh, anti-competitive action that would be like price f- fixing. Um, they've written back to say they they have no evidence of that. I did call the leadership of the and, and met with the leadership of the Canadian Fuels Association that represents the gas retailers to express our uh, c- serious concern because you know as the major producer of oil and the major refiner um, with the lowest taxes, it made no sense that we went through a spell of about. 10 days where our prices were higher than, than, than say, Toronto. Now, um, as you know, that has since uh, 
the, the prices have since come down significantly, and that's good to see. There's a lot of different theories about what happened there. Um, the main one seems to be that uh, there was a delay in rail shipments of ethanol for um, th- to meet the bio- biofuel uh, standards for refined gasoline at the Alberta refineries, and that's what spiked prices. Um, now, that's a whole other question, um, Wayne. You know, there's so many government mandates that keep gas prices high, including including the biofuels mandate. Maybe that's something that we should look at. But uh, I'm just going to quote from Trevor Toome, professor of economics, University of Calgary. He has concluded that I mean, look, we've ha- we eliminated the provincial gas tax thir- uh, 12 weeks ago. For 10 of those 12 weeks, we saw evidence that the full tax savings was being passed on to consumers uh, with much lower prices in the rest of the country. That was not the case for those two weeks, but it's come back to, to normal. He says it was clear that we shouldn't conclude a lack of competition. I noted that if there was some confounding factor leading to leading costs to rise uniquely in Alberta, that it would uh, falsely appear uh, like a lack of pass-through uh, some pointed to ethanol supply challenges as an example. So that's at least one uh, plausible theory, but uh, I'll wait to see back from Sur- Service Alberta if they've been able to identify any other reasons why we had that aberrant two weeks of higher fuel prices. All right, next three questions, all health-related. The big announcement yesterday that the province is going to start accepting children five and under for COVID vaccinations. Now, Health Canada approved the Moderna spike vac- vaccine two weeks ago, and, and some parents were... Or they were upset that it took so long for the rollout in Alberta. Why the delay? Well, we only received advice from the National Advisory Committee on Immunization uh, to open that up, um, I think, last week. Uh, and um, obviously do our own internal review of that. Uh, that decision was made earlier this week and I believe was announced yesterday. Uh, and it was announced in most parts of the country this week. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, Alberta has been... Ahead of the curve, for example, we're one of the only provinces that has made uh, the fourth dose broadly available to the adult population for people who want that additional protection. Um, and, uh, you know, not every province makes every decision on exactly the same day, but we did effectively, most all Canadian provinces did, I think, within the same week on that. Certainly welcome news for those parents who are expecting it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I just, it, it's a choice that parents can make. Uh, let, let's be clear about one thing. Uh, children are at very low risk of severe outcomes from COVID. Um, the, the vaccine can help to further reduce the uh, very small risk of severe outcomes. Uh, and that's something that a parents should decide uh, on their own merits, looking with, in consultation with their physicians. All right. Now, while we're on the topic of vaccinations, there's been some news regarding the monkeypox vaccine in Alberta. And I understand the risk is greater for certain segments of the population. What's the update? What's the update? Well, uh, my understanding is that uh, I'm not sure if the I thought that this week Alberta Health announced that that's uh, available. We have certain doses that's been been provided uh, by the federal government. And um, and so I ask people to go online. Uh, to see how they can access this or contact their physician. There, there is a global scarcity of the monkeypox 
uh, vaccine. And so my understanding is that health authorities here and around the world are trying to um, focus access uh, to people who are in the higher risk groups. And um, so uh, people in the general population, uh, if they're concerned about this, uh, they should be patient because we need to focus on people who are in the higher risk groups. All right. Now, last topic on health. The Airdrie Community Health Center is being forced to close from 10 o'clock at night to 7 in the morning, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays for the next couple of months because there aren't enough doctors to cover the shifts. Now, is this just a symptom of our overburdened system? And you know, it's not an easy solution, I understand, but what is the answer? Because it appears that successive provincial governments haven't been able to address it. Yeah, not just in Canada, but sorry, not just in Alberta, but across the country. Uh, if you look at the uh, the national situation, you see similar problems uh, from in from BC to Newfoundland. Um, you know, constant. Uh, 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 statements uh, coming from uh, med- healthcare workers about a crisis in Ontario hospitals for ICUs and emergency in British Columbia and elsewhere. Um, look, uh, we have an aging population. We uh, have uh, an aging population and uh, we have the cumulative impact of COVID. A lot of people didn't come in to see doctors or go to the hospitals during COVID for various reasons, meaning that many of their medical conditions deteriorated. So there's greater acuity, greater need for the many of the people who are presenting. COVID continues to be an issue in the system, which requires uh, additional isolation protocols, healthcare workers who are um, absent on self-isolation, all of those challenges, healthcare workers who are burnt out. Um, but I can tell you that we do have more physicians in the Alberta healthcare system now than ever before in our history. We added about 100 net over the past year. Um, and uh, the now in the summer months, it's not unusual that uh, we, we do see some uh, service limitations because people do go on holidays and a lot of medical staff are, as it once again, exhausted from the cumulative effect of COVID. But uh, as you know, we've added a, a, like cumulatively about $2 billion to the healthcare budget. Um, we uh, are doing everything we can to recruit uh, additional physicians to accelerate the credential recognition for foreign trained physicians to make it easier for physicians credit credentialed by other provinces to move to Canada. We've added uh, 19 additional fully staffed ICU beds with the nurses required. Uh, we're adding dozens of additional ambulances and uh, uh, spending um, billions of dollars on additional healthcare infrastructure. So it's not a lack of resources. It's a human resources challenge that exists not just here, but quite frankly, across most parts of the developed world. All right. Mr. Kennedy, we have taken a little bit more time than I uh, had anticipated. Well, you have a lot of questions there, Wayne. Uh, Sorry. Well, I know we do, and I think they're all important ones. But there's, you know what? Our callers have some great questions as well. We're going to be talking with Ron from Bonas, but we're going to take a, a quick break, and we'll be back with Premier Kenny on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back. Your province, your premier airs every other Saturday morning during the summer from 10 until 11 throughout Alberta. Let's not take any more time. Let's get right to those phones, and we're going to go to Ron in Bowness. Go ahead, Ron. You're on with Premier Kenny. Thanks, Wayne. Um, good morning, Premier. Good morning. My question is going to be about uh, Hockey Canada and minor hockey. I believe you grew up at Athel Murray College in Notre Dame Wilcox. That's right. Yeah, I met Pear twice. Wow. A Saskatchewan legend. He had it right, you know. Education in hockey makes character men. I have played and coached both high school football and junior A hockey. 
There's a huge cultural difference between the two. My belief is that Hockey Canada should be suspended for two years and get their act together, and that parents organize minor hockey as they did for decades. I also think teenage hockey would be much better off in the school system, like in Minnesota, for example. All right. Uh, Ron, your question for the Premier? question. Has your government considered high school hockey as part of Alberta education? Hmm. Thank you. No, uh, I don't think we have, but that's a, I mean, that's a really interesting question point. And you're right, I'm proud to have grown up at uh, Notre Dame in Saskatchewan. My dad ran the school uh, after Father Murray died in, in 1976. And, of course, um, it's really uh, Canada's greatest hockey factory, if you will. I think well, they've had over 200 graduates that have been drafted in the NHL and several dozen who have played there, including, I think, right now four NHL uh, Stanley Cup player, uh, Stanley Cup winning coaches. Um, and and I, so I know firsthand the, the character building that can come from sports like that. You know, in Calgary, we have a, a, a sports academy, which is a charter school uh, that uh, focuses on, on uh, programs like that. So those programs are available to parents and kids who want uh, to integrate sports into their kids' education. Um, I'm not sure how we would do that everywhere in the same way, but, uh, but thanks for raising it, Ron. All right, let's go to Justin in Edmonton. Uh, I'm not sure what the question's about, but go ahead, Justin. You're on with Premier Kenny. Good morning, Premier. Good morning. Thank you for hosting a successful papal visit. I would also like to um, I'm, I'd also like to condemn the federal government for continuing the use of a ride can when there are basically when it is nothing but red tape for travelers. And IATA has uh, the International Air Transport Association has also called the continued uh, mass on planes unfair and unjustified. Uh, so will you so will you join me in condemning the federal government for continuing to impose these un, unfair restrictions on travelers? Yes, I will, Justin. And more than that, uh, we. Have been uh, have been lobbying against the unnecessary, uh, unscientific federal travel rules, uh, really since, frankly, a- April of 2020. Now, that's not to say that I, I mean I think some of these things made sense um, when COVID posed a greater public health risk and a risk to the capacity of our healthcare system, uh, but with ro- widespread use of vaccines and less. Uh, virulent uh, uh, variants of COVID. Uh, that's why almost every go- country in the world has dropped these uh, burdensome travel mandates. We're night- right now at the peak of the travel season, and the accumulated effect of all of these things is to make travel even more difficult, inconvenient for people, just when they want to get out and enjoy travel after two tough years. Um, uh, Justin, in April of this year, uh, Alberta's legislature passed a motion that we put forward, our government put forward, calling on the feds to drop all of the uh, travel, uh, COVID-related travel mandates, including the masking requirement and the uh, ArriveCan app. And we, so we're the only province that's been consistent on that will continue to be. All right, Mark is calling from Wetaskiwin uh, on condominiums. Go ahead, Mark. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hello, Premier. I'm, first off, I'd like to say I'm sorry that you uh, aren't staying on. But uh, my question is, uh, the Alberta government uh, brought forward the Condominium Act, and yet it really has no teeth to deal with any problems. You want to make a complaint, it just gets filed. You need to hire a lawyer to, to, uh, to get anything done. And I'd like to know if, you, if the province is considering actually putting some teeth behind the uh, Condominium Act so Thanks, condominium Mark. owners have a place to go. 
Thanks, Mark. Good question. And I'm a condo owner myself, uh, so I hear you. And in fact, I've noticed myself just in my MLA role representing Calgary Lougheed, a a, um, measurable increase in the number of complaints that I've been getting from constituents about problems with condo boards and uh, all of the related issues. So uh, I intend to talk to our minister responsible for Service Alberta, Nate Glubish, about that. Um, look, we brought forward those amendments to the Condominium Act based largely on input from um, uh, condo boards and residents. There was a lot of consultation. Uh, we thought it, w- it would strengthen um, the ability of people to pursue complaints while also cutting red tape and costs. So uh, we need to take a look at that, see if that's working, and, and thanks for raising it. Okay, John is calling from Parkland on Alberta Private Police. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Yeah, good morning, Jason. I'm calling actually from Parkland County. Jason, I think one of the real positive initiatives that you attempted to get through was a provincial police force. And I think one of the concerns that we have, especially out in the area where I am, is all this overflow of um, problems with regard to policing, theft, crime, vandalism that comes into our area from Edmonton. And I'm just wondering if a provincial police force is still in the books because I know the, um, I think they call themselves now the RMA has not endorsed that. Your yeah. comment, please. Yeah, thanks, John. The answer is yes, it's still in the works. Uh, we have not made a final decision. Uh, we had um, commissioned a major study on this uh, by, uh, I believe, KPMG. And they also had done the study for the city of Surrey that led to them ending their uh, service agreement with the federal government for the RCMP. They've now transitioned to municipal police service. That's a big deal because Surrey is a city of nearly 700,000 people. Um, and so the uh, the model that's been presented, and we you can check it out online if you go to the website of the Department of Justice and Solicitor General, uh, look for the report on a potential Alberta Provincial Police Service. It's really, I think, quite exciting because it would be for the first time ever, well, since we had a Provincial Police Service uh, in the 20s and 30s, it would allow for civilian oversight of our Provincial Police Service. That's not possible under the RCMP. It would allow for a proper civilian complaints process. It would allow for Indigenous representation on the Police Commission. It would be very progressive in including um, social workers, psychologists, and others to deal with some of the root causes. Um, But it would also ensure greater stability in the uh, labor fo- in in the police service labor force because we get a lot of um, you know revolving doors with people from the RCMP coming from New Brunswick and then going to the Yukon etc. Instead, Albertans would be able to come get trained at an Alberta Police Academy and stay here and serve their local communities. That's real community policing. And by the way, several other provinces are looking at this. In fact, the BC Legislature and all party committee, including the NDP, have voted uh, to explore provincializing their police service. So uh, I think this is a very an idea with a lot of merit. The Minister of Justice is continuing consultations with those municipalities. I f- quite frankly think that, that uh, some of the municipalities made that a resolution without all of the information. There's been a very uh, active and expensive lobby coming from the RCMP union. Uh, understandably, they want to keep things as they are. 
Um, but uh, I, I hope that if, that the, this government or a future government will move forward with this to strengthen Alberta and improve community policing. All right. We're going to go to the text line right now. This one coming from Edmonton. Why are sub-metered customers not eligible to receive the rebate when we can't switch providers and have no options to lock in rates? I'd say the need for the rebate is greater for this subset. Okay, well, th- th- because people have locked in rates and they generally have lower rates w- would be uh, the, the primary reason there. Um, and uh, this is, uh, I think you're referring to the electricity rebate. We estimate, right. Yeah, we estimate that that will be uh, a very substantial savings, about $300 million uh, for Albertans. Uh, so uh, that, that's, the, that's the rationale. All right, uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, let's see. Don calling from Edmonton. Go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead, Don. Don, are you there? Hang on a second. All right. I hit the wrong one here. One, two, three, four. All right. Well, uh, let's try less in Bicycle. Hello, Premier Kenny. I'm calling about the issue with Airdrie Urgent Care being shut down for another, what, seven more weekends because there's no staffing for it. AHS is a disaster. And uh, between the ambulance services, um, they, you know, you uh, had it all put into one service for dispatch. And now we, they're pulling low. And that's my fault, uh, Mr. Kenny. I'm well, pushing I, too many wrong buttons here. Well, I did ask, you know, you already asked that question, yeah. Wayne, about uh, Airdrie services on the weekends, but uh, this gentleman also raised uh, ambulance services, and we have appointed a, a task force uh, to look at the problems we've been having in EMS. We do know uh, that last summer we saw, I think it was a, a, a 40% increase in EMS calls. And uh, so that we've had a sustained high uh, number of calls, and that's why we are taking real action. I, we've already we're in the process of adding a dozens of new ambulances across the province, fully staffed with crews. We've changed some of those protocols that that stupidly had ambulances waiting sometimes for hours at hospitals to uh, decant patients, and and uh, we're looking at at all of those issues to get the the best possible services. Uh, I think we've put forty million dollars additionally. Uh, in this year's budget into EMS services. Uh, and it, it's certainly in some parts of the province, we're starting to see that uh, that difference come through. All right. Now, I think I've got Don back from Edmonton. Don, go ahead. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi, Mr. Kenny. Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that you keep coming on on uh, every second Saturday to talk sure. to uh, Albertans regarding these issues. Um, I like the way that our current electricity bills have gone up 150%, what they say, in the last year and a half or two years. It's a good thing we mothballed all those uh, coal fire plants <laughs> that could have been brought up to, to lower emissions than the natural gas ones. Everybody knows the price of natural gas up. But my other two comments are is um, recently I want to uh, rent out uh, cabins because the price of fuel was so high or, and or lake lots to people. And I got quotes from insurance companies. For six months, it was $10,000 and $12,000. It was just ridiculous. Like, how am I going to rent out a lot to somebody with a camper and justify the cost of that? But my other question was, is, is coming sorry, up... You're saying, sorry, you're saying 10 k of electricity a month in a cabin? 
No, 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 no. It was the insurance. The oh, insurance, excuse me, I misunderstood. Sorry. So, sorry, I switched topics on you okay. quickly. Um, <laughs> no, I want to rent out people's lake lots because they're not using them this yeah. summer. I thought, well, if somebody else doesn't want to travel as far, I could rent them out. But the insurance was just ridiculous. It was 10000 for six months or 12000 for six months just for a few lots. It was just, it was ridiculous. But the, the other question I have is... Uh, the school buses coming up this fall, like they've already had problems with the increased in fuel costs and they have to be subsidized. But uh, a lot of people are saying that uh, they might not have school bus service in rural areas because of increased fuel cost and increase in the insurance. All right. Couple of couple of long-winded questions there, Don, but I think uh, we got enough to go on. Thank you. Well, I, yeah, I, there's a lot there. Um, maybe the one I'll, I'll pick up on is, is Don's first point which is um, price of electricity. So uh, Don is absolutely right. Like, let's, let's be clear about this. Electricity, like all utilities, is a highly regulated market. I mean, we, the price is, is regulated. The, the producers have to go and get approval for the price from the Alberta Utilities Commission. Um, and uh, so the idea that this is just about companies... Uh, profiteering and, and, and massively raising prices arbitrarily is, is not factual. A lot of policy has driven this. And we used to have reliable, cheap electricity with large um, coal-fired baseload power as about 45% of our grid. Uh, but massively that's come off uh, and because uh, the NDP and the federal liberals uh, pressured uh, power producers uh, to stop uh, electricity, sorry, coal-fired power production, and much of that came through the carbon taxes. Now, um, we now th- that's required that we go to natural gas, which in the long run I think is probably a good thing. But gas prices are super high right now. I think we're paying it's about six dollar is is uh, is the eco price right now. Um, and so there's been a huge increase in the energy input costs to produce ener- electricity, in part as a result of deliberate government policy. So if people are ticked off with high electricity prices, high gas prices, high home heating prices, they have to hold the political uh, parties and politicians uh, responsible for those policies who want high energy prices. That's what the Liberals and the NDP want. They like energy affordability because they think it's a feature and not a bug to reduce uh, uh, energy consumption. So uh, I, I just I think it's important to stress that point um, that uh, we need voters, I hope in future elections, to say, yes, we need to be environmentally responsible, but we also need affordable and reliable energy. All right. Back to the text lines. Sebastian calling in from uh, Edmonton, texting from Edmonton. Just wondering, the federal government announced rebates and 0% financing for solar setups. Does the Alberta government have any rebates available? No, we don't. Uh, we've gone to, look, under the NDP, uh, they, they set up a job-killing carbon tax, something they did not run on. Uh, they were committed to, to raising it to track the federal carbon tax, which would mean... Uh, nearly quadrupling it from where it is today. And they use those tax revenues notionally to provide these kinds of subsidies. Um, we said it's that money's better in the pockets of consumers. So we scrapped the NDP carbon tax and we scrapped the subsidies for things like solar. And by the way, since we did that and gone to a unsubsidized market for, re- for renewable power, guess what? 
Um, Alberta has seen by far the largest growth in investment in solar and wind power production in Canada without any without a dime of taxpayer subsidies. All right. Now, Daryl is calling in from Black Diamond. Uh, this is a subject that we have addressed numerous times on the show. Daryl, you're going to get one more kick at the can. Uh, go ahead. You're on with Premier Kenny. Uh, thank you, Premier Kenny, for your years of service. My question is this. I have a friend that's on age in Calgary. Now, her rent has gone up, thanks to the greedy landlords, and the cost of food and everything is going up. Is there going to be any extra help for people on age and social services? Now, she, if it wasn't for the Calgary Food Bank, she would starve. Thank God for Calgary Food Bank. Is there going to be any extra help for the food banks? Yeah, thank you, Daryl. Uh, well, and I agree. Thanks for the food banks and all the, all the people who contribute and volunteer to them. And the answer is we are looking at, um, at potential uh, increases to help with inflation uh, for people on government support programs like that. Um, we, uh, ha- I, I want to remind Albertans that not very long ago, we were facing a catastrophic deficit. Our debt as a province has gone from net debt of, of zero to like $95 billion in the past few years. We ran deficits for 14 years. Uh, this government inherited an $8 billion debt, a deficit, pardon me, debt, deficit. And so we had to take action to get our spending under control. Our Alberta program, like AISH, is 40% more generous than the uh, next most generous uh, provincial income support for people on disabilities, with disabilities. Uh, so we have the most generous programs in the country. We also have the lowest cost of living generally in the country. But I do recognize that inflation is hitting lower income people on fixed incomes hard. And that's why we're looking, as long as we can be confident that our fiscal situation is now sustainably better, um, that then I think we can move forward prudently uh, to um, s- support uh, people on fixed incomes um, w- dealing with the rising cost of living. All right, text message. Uh, this is a follow-up to an earlier question. This one from Farmer Lar. He says, BS, Mr. Kenny, the majority of my power bill comes from Transmission Corps, which the government does a contract with. Uh, your response. Well, it's true that in many parts of the province that transmission costs are the largest part of a power bill. I don't know what he means by having a contract with the government. Uh, the transmission companies also have to have their rates approved by the Alberta Utilities Commission. And the problem there is that uh, Alberta governments, going back 15 years, decided to support huge increases in the transmission infrastructure in the province. Those are embedded costs. Uh, the companies that built them were guaranteed that they would be able to recoup their, their capital investment um, from consumers. And that's now very painful for us. Uh, th- you know, under the NDP, for example, they authorized billions of dollars of additional transmission build. Um, the, the, all of that is, is embedded now in our power uh, bills. Now, our government has taken a much Uh, more cautious and prudent approach. We've approved virtually no new transmission infrastructure. Um, And as our economy grows, 
our population grows, there's more industrial consumption of electricity, uh, those uh, very high transmission costs will be uh, abated. They'll be spread across a growing base of ratepayers, and uh, that over time will get these transmission costs down. But I admit, I agree, right now they are very high, and that's the accumulative effect. And by the way, it's also because the NDP uh, completely screwed up the power purchasing agreement that cost us, I think it was $2.3 billion in compensation that had to be paid, particularly to the coal-fired power producers to buy them out. Uh, and uh, the carbon taxes didn't help either. So all of that's an accumulation of what I would say is bad government policy. All right. Related question now from Brian. Go ahead, Brian. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hello, Mr. Kenny. How are you? Good, thanks. Quick question for you in regards to the regulated rate option. Um, it was your government that actually removed the cap off the regulated rate option. It wasn't the NDP. They had it sealed. Why? do we not place the cap back on the regulated rate option? Because we know that probably 60% of Albertans are still not on a contract and they're they're at, at a mercy to the regulated rate option, which is totally out of control as far as I'm concerned. Well, let's be clear about this. We, we're providing um, $300 million in electricity rebates. The NDP's so-called cap uh, benefited a small minority of consumers and it was about a $90 million of relief. So that was cosmetic relief. What we're providing is relief for a much larger number of Albertans at about three times the quantum in terms of, uh, uh, of uh, electricity rate relief. Okay, Greg is calling. He says from Highway 43. Uh, Greg, you're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead. Good day, Mr. Kenny. How are we today? Great, thanks. Great. Yeah, I just got a question. Um, as a as a premier and as a well seasoned politician, um, uh, I'll use our health care as a good example. Um, you put another two billion dollars into the system, and yet the managers who run the system uh, can't manage the money that they have now. Yet they still have their jobs, and we still pour money at them. Um, so when is when is management going to be start being held accountable, whether it's highway departments or healthcare or policing or whatever it is? Um, we keep dumping money at problems, that, and it's the same people running the programs. Um, in private sector, those people would be fired for mismanagement. Yeah. Yet in government, they're given golden handshakes. Well, thank you. Uh, it's actually not accurate to say that... Uh, the the like the chief manager of Alberta Health Services is is the president and CEO, um, and the president um, of the last five years is no longer there, and the board of AHS is searching for a new CEO. Uh, I agree, it's time for for new leadership and greater accountability, uh, and uh, that's what's happening. Uh, I agree it's it's kind of inexplicable that we have one of the best-funded public health care systems in the world, and we're having all of these problems. That's not a new thing, and you're quite right to say these are systemic problems. Now, I know that some people say, uh, let's just blow it up and whatever, go to regional health authorities. I want to remind you that, that way back in the early 90s, we used to have these um, over 100 local health or hospital boards basically running the system. Ralph Klein brought them all under one big uh, provincial board. That went on for several years, and everybody said, look, there's too many problems. We need local uh, administration. So the province went to regional health authorities, and then that didn't seem to be working. We're having many of the same problems, despite big spending. 
And then we went back into one big provincial board, AHS, and people are saying, well, we still have the same challenges. Look, um, uh, here is the hard truth, uh, that uh, every province in Canada is facing similar challenges. Um, and uh, we, we, you're right to demand greater uh, results and accountability. We need that from our system. Um, we now have a serious population challenge with the aging of the population putting more elderly people with serious health challenges into the healthcare system. COVID didn't help. Um, and I, I think this is one of the reasons we need to look at different ways of delivering healthcare. It's exactly what we have been trying to do through our chartered surgical initiative, which is to work with the private sector, God forbid, to build more surgical capacity in privately operated surgical facilities uh, that are providing publicly insured surgeries. Because broadly speaking, the private sector, uh, you know, they have a market accountability. They can't afford to be wasteful. They can't afford um, to leave uh, operating rooms idle for 16 hours a day. Uh, they need to be more uh, productive. And, and that's why we're turning to the private sector to ha be a partner with us in expanding the delivery of publicly insured health care. All right. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier. And let's get right to the phone lines. And we're going to hear from Al, who is calling in from Calgary. Go ahead, Al. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Wayne. Uh, Mr. Premier, I hope you would agree that the most serious problem facing our province and country today is, is health care. Um, a number of phone calls on this issue would back up that point. Everything in Alberta from urgent care to wait times for surgery, emergency services, burnt-out nurses, doctors with ripped-up contracts, everything is broken. Today, Don Braid suggests that we need a public inquiry to address this issue. I would uh, love to see that happen. I don't think that Alberta has the uh, competence or uh, I guess uh, wherewithal to fix this problem as your past measures have indicated. So Mr. Premier, how about a public inquiry into health care in Alberta? Well, there have been several and not much came out of them. So I don't believe in uh, process for the sake of it. You know, uh, we had the Rainbow Commission in the early 1990s. We had the Mazankowski Commission. I think there were three of these things when Ralph Klein was premier. Uh, whenever there are serious systemic problems, uh, it's easy to just turf it to a, a committee. The Romano Commission did this for the federal government. Every, it seems like every seven or eight years, every province does one of these things. Um, and and uh, yet every province continues to experience uh, problems similar to the ones that you've just articulated. Um, there is, uh, here's the, tr the hard truth. There is no simple or easy solution. Uh, systems all across the world, the developed world at least, are experiencing similar problems. Uh, you have, uh, as I've said it a number of times today, uh, the aging of the population, which is now placing significant new uh, demands uh, on the healthcare system, and the silver tsunami, as some people call it, with the retirement of a lot of seasoned doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers. Um, I, I'm told we also see a, a different uh, work patterns, like, uh, for example, 
Many of the younger uh, physicians take smaller panels of patients, uh, have a different approach to work-life balance. And uh, so uh, we have a, a lot of systemic challenges. I do think, though, in Canada, we have to have an honest discussion about this. We keep telling ourselves we have the best healthcare system in the world, and it, sadly, it's just not true. We're at the high end of, of spending per capita for publicly insured systems in the developed world, but we're, we tend to be on the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to things like surgical wait times, diagnostic wait times, uh, and outcomes in many areas. Um, so I think that we need to look at how other publicly insured systems, like in Western Europe, manage to get better bang for the taxpayer's buck, shorter surgical and diagnostic wait times, generally better outcomes at generally low, lower costs per GDP. Uh, and one way they do it is through greater partnerships with private sector health delivery. That's part of why we are significantly expanding uh, exactly that through the Alberta Char Chartered Surgical Initiative. All right. From the text line, Connie has texted in from Edmonton. Please stop blaming the aging population for health care problems. Governments are allowing older people into the country, and they have never contributed to the system. Those of us born here have contributed for us and our families. Start requiring foreign-born to pay. It's not racist to expect this contribution. It's fair. Well, an interesting point, and that's exactly why when I was the federal minister of immigration, I introduced something called the super visa, which said that if you're going to invite uh, your parents to come here from, from abroad for extended stays, they must give proof of uh, private health insurance. They do not get to use the taxpayer-funded system. That's not a lack of compassion. It's just recognizing that we can't be the world's hospital, that there are scarce resources, that elderly people do, as a matter of fact, uh, consume a larger share of health resources. And if, if these are folks who have never paid taxes or contributed to the social system here, then they have their families have a responsibility to cover their health care costs. That's exactly the policy I introduced as federal immigration minister. All right, back to the phone lines. Barry is calling in from Lloydminster. Go ahead, Barry. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hello, Premier Kenny. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you, sir. Thanks, Barry. Uh, I just really like what you've been doing with the oil patch and how it's kicking into gear and that. I know we have infrastructure problems, and good on you for that. Uh, I work in the drilling industry, and it's booming right now, so I know it's a lot of incentives you brought in, and that's awesome. Uh, I do have a question, though. I, I live on Saskatchewan side of Lloydminster, and I get my power from ATCO, which is an Alberta company. And our province is thinking about introducing a, uh, a rebate of some kind through SAS power. And that kind of leaves me out in the cold because I'm under uh, ADCO. Is there anything you thought about that you could do for some of your customers that are supplied by you but living in Saskatchewan on the border? Hmm. Maybe. Thanks for your nice, uh, your kind words there. Um, I hadn't, uh, I've never been asked that question before. Uh, Barry, so, and I do know that, that you guys do buy from some Alberta uh, transmission companies. Um, let me look into that and talk to Premier Mo about it. Um, and and uh, thank you for putting it on my radar. All right, text message. Uh, this one, uh, a health question again. Uh, this one coming in from Edmonton. Need to have nursing schools back in the hospitals. This gives experience, helps with labor costs, and also allows students to not have student loans. Yeah, agreed. And in fact, a couple of pieces of good news. We, The government of Alberta came to a successful collective bargaining agreement with the uh, Union of Nurses of Alberta. 
and um, that includes a, a modest pay increase, as well as specific uh, incentives for retention and recruitment of nurses in rural communities. On top of that, through the Alberta at Work initiative in this year's budget, we've put forward uh, $600 million dollars Uh, to fund additional seats in our post-secondary institutions for in-demand occupations, and at the top of that list is nurses. So we are buying hundreds of additional, funding hundreds of additional seats at our universities um, and colleges to uh, increase uh, the number of nurses being trained. In addition to that, um, we are working specifically with the Philippines government on a potential memorandum, uh, an agreement to streamline the credentialing process for Filipino. We have many uh, Filipino RNs who are not getting credentialed in Canada. Uh, what they need is uh, modest bridging programs uh, to do so. So we have an, an available workforce that just needs a little boost to get their credentials, and we're working on that solution. That could also add hundreds of additional uh, credentialed RNs into the Alberta labor force. All right, 45 seconds left. Uh, text line, Anna from Beaumont says, why are we never told about welfare stats? Well, I'm not sure what uh, Anna wants, but the, that information, you know, in terms of the number of people that are on welfare, et cetera, that's all publicly available. Um, we actually saw a, I believe, a slight decrease uh, in the number of Albertans on welfare during COVID because a lot of people shifted over to federal benefits programs. Um, uh, I believe that's now changing a bit, but um, again, that's that stuff's publicly available on the internet. All right. Premier Kenny, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us once again today. Thanks. It's always a real workout. So thanks very much, Wayne. It's uh, always appreciate the good questions and sorry for the folks we didn't get to. Yeah. Oh, and there were quite a lot of them. We'll do this again uh, in a couple of weeks at this same time. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.